0: Welcome to the Vale Christian Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney jumps back into the great mystery with a message titled A Brand New House. He'll draw the truth from the text from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Well, we're going to finish up our um, series in the letter of of Colossians or the book of Colossians. So take out your Bible and turn to chapter 3. I want you to keep in mind that um, Paul has a main theme here, and it's that he wants everybody, everybody to become mature in Christ. We've titled this, though, The Great Mystery, because this is where Christ now lives. This is where he dwells and resides, right? And so Paul said, the great mystery has been hidden for uh, ages, but now he's revealed. The great mystery is Christ in you. Christ in you. And so um, he talks through that. And in particular today, I think you're going to really enjoy that. You know, I was thinking about it today. Um, I really love these. Now, you don't have to love these, all right? These are Susan's Sugar-free cookies, right? Now, if you eat one of these and you want it to taste like a regular cookie, just don't eat it, okay? But I like it because it doesn't have sugar in it. And um, so both my wife and I are trying to, you know, try to be careful about sugar, right? So I can eat one of these and um, it's really simple. There's a couple things I really, really love about Susan's sugar-free cookies, all right? Uh, one is, it, it's dairy-free, there's no trans-fat, cholesterol-free, it's vegan, but there's no sugar in it, okay? But that's not even the big thing. I mean, am I, I'm eating it because I don't like the sugar, all right? And I, and I want to try to, you know, I just have something with my coffee or something. But here's the real reason why I dig these, all right? You can't find these in the store, hardly ever. I mean, once in a while you can find them, it's rare. But you can order them online. And it's, if you go to... Um, HealthyCookiesDirect.com, all right? They sell all kinds of stuff like this. And you can order these online. But what I love is I didn't realize until all right, until I read their philosophy. And their philosophy is we're investing just the bare minimum in the packaging so that we can provide you with great value. And uh, what we spend all the time on is the cookie. Who cares about the packaging? and believe me, it's true, because this is ridiculous graphics and stuff. It's not really all that great and appealing. But then when you open it up, the package is equally as ridiculous. I mean, the cookies are all crunched up and everything like that, and the package is just totally like, okay, I can see you spent zero money on the packaging, all right? It's even got a piece of scotch tape to hold the lid down. I mean, it looks like scotch tape, like somebody just went, you know, and taped the lid down. I'm like, Brilliant. I love that, actually. I don't want to pay for the package. I want what's inside. That's what's important to me. And again, if you don't like these, I don't care. I like them. Okay. So um, what I love about it is super simple. Paul's going to talk about things today. In my view, really simple, really practical. When we draw the truth out of the text, just like this, really simple, direct. And I think that you can go, wow, I know um, how to apply this to my life. doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but the instructions are pretty straightforward about the church. There's going to be three messages uh, that connect all together. Today, we're going to talk about the church and our relationships inside the church, the household of faith. Next week, we're going to talk about actually relationships in your family, in your family and how important those are, because that's uh, where the text goes. Uh, Directs us, And then when we get towards the end, then the the next message will be about our relationships in the community that we live in. But we have to start right here because unless it's going like it should within the household of faith, within the church, then you can forget whether or not it's going to go good out there in the community. People need to want what we have. And if what we have is not worth offering and attractive, all right, then um, we're kind of fooling ourselves. So Paul gets really focused and direct. Now, there's another thing that I really like that he's going to sort of focus on. I think that you can uh, truly draw out from this uh, focus that he has on relationships. I think you can compare it to uh, marriage, actually. Marriage is a perfect illustration of how it's supposed to work. Uh, let, me, let me tell you uh, like this. There's this really great movie that I like. Um, it's called Open Range. It's a cowboy movie. It's a Western. I mean, there's definitely lots of killing and shooting. It's the Old West and Justice. But there are two lines that the actors... Um, say in the movie, and they're just comical. They're utterly ridiculous. I really love the movie because I like Robert Duvall, he stars in this, and Kevin Cosner. Kevin is probably my favorite actor, right? But I like Robert Duvall too. They're just really good guys, and they make great cowboys, right? There's this scene where it's sort of intimate, and they're, they've gone through some trauma, and they're talking about things that not anybody knows about them, right? They've known each other for a long time, but there's still stuff that they don't know. And Robert Duvall, he shares this this thing, and uh, nobody knows. He said, "I bet you didn't know I was married once. I had a wife." And you know, it's sort of shocking to hear him uh, say it. He said, "Yeah, they were killed by the whatever the pandemic was at the time, right?" And um, and he's and, but he but he says this one line, and I just I I want to reach through the Television and just punch him, right? Because it's ridiculous. He says, he, he sort of shakes his finger. He says, Yeah, yeah, I was married once. Never had a crossword. I just want to go, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Don't lie to me like that. You can't be married and never have a crossword. It doesn't exist, it's not truthful. Just don't lie to me like that. But that's what he says, and, you know, and you kind of want to believe him because he's such a good actor, you know? And I'm like, no, I don't believe you. I don't care if you're an actor or not. That's not true. Don't say stuff like that, all right? But I still love the movie, all right? There's an equally... It's even worse than that. It's It's a great line. It's a great line. Because Kevin Costner, he's the outlaw cowboy gone good, right? He's got a good heart. He kills all the bad guys and stuff, and it's awesome, all right? And so, uh, you know, it, it, this is all about, like, open range and free grazing, and people don't like that because we're putting up fences and this is my land, right? Well, these are free grazers, so and they have this big shootout and fight. And in the whole process of people getting killed and shot and all that, Kevin Cosner meets this woman who's not married, and, you know, they fall in love, and it's kind of in a cowboy way, it's kind of awkward and goofy. But at the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, it's so great because everything is, it turned out awesome. And, uh, you know, Robert Duvall, Kevin Costner, they're riding off to go round up the cattle, right? And so Kevin's uh, uh, love interest, and it seems like they're, get, they're married or getting married or they're engaged or going to get married. I don't know. But uh, it, I, I think they're married is the way it kind of looks, all right? And so she rides out with him. You know, as they're exiting, they're, gonna, they're, they're taking off, you know, to go round up the cow, They're going to be gone for a long time because it takes a long time to go get them, all right? And so she rides out to say goodbye, so she rides out several miles. And they get to this one place, and Kevin Cosner turns around, and he says, Now, look, you got to go back. This is far enough. I don't want you to get it. I don't want the rooftops to get out of sight, you know, because I'm concerned for your well-being. Well, she's a really strong, independent woman. She's awesome, Right? And she knows how to push his buttons just enough, and that's why they fell in love. And so she's kind of pressing it. She's like, I can go further. You know, what are you talking about? I've been around a long time before you got here. And so um, he says the most, it's the best line because I see it to my wife all the time now because we've watched the movie. He says this, it's magnificently stupid. (laughs) He says, now how's this going to work? If you don't do what I say, <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? It's totally ridiculous. I think it's meant to be ridiculous. I don't know. Maybe it isn't. It's just utterly stupid. How's this going to? Oh, so there's times there's times when I've just said it to Linda. I've just said, because she's watched the movie with me, and I just look her straight in the eye and go, now how's this going to work if you don't do what I say? And it gets the same reaction as it did in the movie. What are you, an idiot? You know, you got to be kidding me. You're stupid. Um, It just almost gets the opposite of what I want. In fact, it does get the opposite of what I want. I love it. I love saying that. But see, here's the thing. What Paul is going to teach us about regarding the church, it's actually the same principles Within marriage, it is, you don't even have to be married to know these things, okay? Take out your Bible in Colossians chapter 3, and let's just look, because now that I've drawn you in, and you're going to go on and watch that movie, and I'm not saying I recommend the movie. I'm just saying I like cowboy westerns, and Kevin Costner is awesome, right? But you're going to want to see this, Colossians chapter 3, and then we're going to start at verse 12. And go through verse 17, all right? Follow along because you're going to want to underline stuff and take some notes. Here's what Paul's got to say right here. He says, "Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself yourselves, excuse me, with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if someone happens to. Have a complaint against anyone else. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. And to all these virtues add love, which is the perfect bond. Let the peace of Christ be in control in your heart. For you were in fact called as one body to this peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and exhorting one another with all the wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with grace in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, oh, it's, you can already see this is really practical. It's going to be great instruction. And I need simple things... I like simple things. I like it to be focused. That's why I like the sugar-free cookies. Maybe that's why I like Westerns. (laughs) I think they're just simple and straightforward most of the time, all right? But here we are. I want you to look at the first three verses now that Paul starts with here in this section to get a feel for what he's telling his readers to build in their lives. So we're the readers, the the church in Colossae, the readers, right? And remember, the church is being birthed right here. And these people have come to Christ and he's equipping and training them, discipling them, so to speak. Look what he's got to say, right? Just in the first verse, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with the heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Okay, now, this is who we are as the church. This is who we're supposed to be anyway. This is what defines us actually as the church. If it doesn't define us, then we're just fooling ourselves. Put on Christ is what he's saying. Put on Christ. That's the first point. Put on Christ. We're holy. It's a mystery, right? There's a tension here because we're broken people, but we're restored people. It's a process. It's a journey of being transformed, right? Right? As, God, as God's restored people, we're able to live a new kind of life. So Paul gives us a list of five things to clothe ourselves with, five virtues. And by the way, these five virtues are to replace the five you know, ugly sins that he points out in the section prior to this. So we're to put off all these other things and put these things on. Okay, so he summarizes this list by saying to put on love as the outer garment. It's kind of, you know, finishes the whole thing, bonds it all together. This love, it's the outer garment, it's the overcoat, it connects all the virtues. And so it's clear that Paul believes that being in Christ is a transformational experience, it changes our lives. And it all has to do with Jesus. So we can't forget that. It's simple, but we drift from that all the time. If we can summarize what it is we are clothing ourselves with, it is the person of Jesus. Put on Jesus. Put on Christ. That's it right there. Put on Christ. Now, I want us to notice something about these virtues. They are all actually relational, and I want you to point that out. I want to point that out because this is actually profound. It's not natural in the way that we think. But all these virtues are relational. In the section before this one, all of the sins that we are to lay aside and to put off are also all relational. So those relational sins are to be replaced by the relational virtues. So, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, these are ways of being with other persons. I am patient with you. I'm kind towards you. I'm gentle in my interactions with you. So, Paul's not describing you. He's describing how you interact with other people. Now... Why are you pointing this out? Because this has got to be maybe the biggest shift for you when you begin to become more mature in Christ, right? The more you study the Bible, the more you should begin to see this more clearly. Most of our spiritual thinking is about becoming more pure and holy, but... The more you study the scriptures, the more you find that virtually all the signs of spiritual growth in the New Testament, they're all relational, okay? They are not so much about you as about your relationships. That's a big deal. What characterizes your relationships? How do you interact with people? What types of friends do you have? How do you treat your family? See, The way you think about marriage illustrates this. So let's go back to marriage just for a minute. Most people's goal is to be a good husband or a good wife in marriage, right? But your goal should be to respect your husband and to love your wife. Being a good husband or being a good wife is all about your character. But mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience are all about how you treat somebody else. You see, and this is where we get wrong all the time, and why marriages become dysfunctional and unhealthy. In marriage, loving your wife or respecting your husband makes it all about them, and you forget this because we don't go into marriage really thinking about this when we're young and in love, or even when we're old and in love. We're always looking for something for us. That's the lens we look through. That's why the church can be so consumer-oriented sometimes and sort of actually defy the purpose of the church, because the church isn't a place where you get. It's actually designed by God to be a place that you give. It's actually a place where you practice and you live out being others-minded, and, and so in, in, in doing that, you, the byproducts are you get things that you need and even things that you want. That's what happens in marriage as well. When you are others-minded, when you love your spouse because it pleases the Lord, the byproducts of that is healthy things because two people doing that, then you, you get the love and relationship that you want. So... It's a really important principle to understand. And let let me illustrate it like this. In school, a lot of times, you have two very different kinds of assignments. So if you're a teacher, or you've been a student, or you're currently a student, you should know this, even if you just help your kids with your homework, right? You know that there are two different kinds of assignments. There are individual homework, and then there's group projects. Oh, yeah. Teachers love giving the group project. I think they love it because it's sort of torturesome, right? Right? Oh man, the group project, individual homework, it's all under your control, it might be really hard, maybe concepts are difficult, maybe you have to learn to manage your time to get it done, maybe you don't always enjoy the material, but you are responsible, you're in control and you receive a grade for it, right? That's how most people think about their spirituality as well. Of course, God's the one empowering our growth. But most basically, we think about our performance. We're performance-oriented. That's the way we think about our spiritual life. But a lot of school is based on group projects. It can be fun at times, I have to admit. It can totally be fun. But for the most part, group projects are far more complicated than individual assignments, right? They're way more complicated. You have to schedule time together, and that's utterly ridiculous. You have to figure out who's going to work on which part. Oh, my goodness. It never turns out like I want it, right? Some are better at certain things. That sticks out. Some work harder than others. That really sticks out. Some seem to care more than others. Oh, that's the most aggravating thing. In the end, here's the part I hate the most. Everybody gets the same grade. Isn't that the most aggravating thing? Yeah. Okay. Our spiritual life is much more like a group project than an individual assignment. It just is. It just is. If it wasn't for people, by the way, church would be awesome. Yeah. If I'm going to be merciful, I need somebody who is feeling pain so that I can feel merciful towards them. Mercy is not what you feel toward yourself. It's what you feel towards someone else. If I'm not involved in a community, who am, I going to be, who am I going to be merciful towards? How can I put on kindness if I'm just alone in my room by myself? You see, I need people to be kind too. Kindness is something that happens in relationships. What about patience? Same thing. All these things are the same thing, right? How about church? One of the things, right, that I love about Paul's message right here, he seems to assume that relationships among God's chosen people, holy and loved, right, they're not going to be easy. He's brilliant. And this is just the emerging of the church. He knows. He knows. People are going to annoy us, rub me the wrong way, and I'm going to need to be patient. People are going to experience pain and suffering, some of which they may have even caused themselves. And I'm going to be asked to feel merciful. Paul's instructions Seem to assume that God's chosen people are often hurting and insecure and sensitive and overbearing and broken and difficult and annoying and selfish and absent minded. Sometimes I feel like people just do it on purpose and then we come up with boatloads of excuses why. Nobody ever just goes, Yeah, I blew that. Sorry, it's my fault. It hardly ever happens, right? It's almost as if Paul visited. Vail Christian Church himself. Like, it's not all bad, right? But I'm trying to make a point here. Why else would you need mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? Why do you need all these things? Paul has an honest view of what church life is like, and he has a powerful recommendation, right, on how to live within the church. In fact, as you move on in these verses, you see that this type of realistic thinking it just keeps continuing. Look at verse 12, because he starts out, in verse 12, with a command, clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. That's important. Think about putting your clothes on. Verse 13 continues with two more verbs, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, right? So, you know, when you kind of tear this up in its original language, right? This is how you go about clothing yourself, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. When someone does something that doesn't make sense to you or that hurts you in some way or that makes you angry, you can do one of two things. You can overlook it or you can pardon them. And it fleshes out this way in marriage, right? To the point where... Sometimes I can even feel it in my own marriage, and it's healthy and good and right, but I sometimes I feel like saying to Linda, I, you're supposed to be on my team. What are you doing? Of all people, I need on my team. It's got to be you or else it's all, uh, why are you doing this? It hurts. You know, that's basically what I'm saying, or she says to me, you're hurting. You're hurting me. I feel like you're doing this on purpose. You ever said that? Never had a cross word. See, that's baloney, right? Come on. Of course we feel this way. Of course. Sometimes we even feel like the person that we're the closest to, that loves us the most, is our enemy. (laughs) We get like this because marriage is a little picture of what is true among God's people. We face the same dynamics around here. It happens all the time. We're supposed to be the church. But there are times when we betray each other. There are times when we hurt each other actually on purpose, I feel like. At times, we're out to get each other. At times, we we become enemies of each other. Paul doesn't sugarcoat what it is to be the church. It requires forgiveness. It requires forgiveness. We have difficult conversations with people who have hurt us. It will require love. So Paul, uh, Paul so commonly does all of this in his letter. He brings it all back to Jesus. He brings it all back to Jesus. Our forgiveness is based on the fact that Christ has forgiven us, Right? We've disobeyed him, we've hurt him, we've rejected him. We tend to forget the magnitude of our rejection of Christ. We actually play the part of the hostile crowd at Jesus' trial and we demand that he be killed actually. That's us. This is what God forgives us of, our rebellion to put Christ on the cross because he's forgiven us, we can forgive others. Christ's forgiveness of us didn't come easy, it's painful. It was incredibly painful. This is what is asked of us if we are to live as a household of faith. Now, why does he focus on this? Because if you can't live like this, you're just playing games about offering this to the, the community that we live in outside the church. It's got to work within the church. So this is what we focus on today, and next week we're going to talk about actually our relationships in our actual families, because goodness, if that's a mess, then it's you know it, it can't be effective outside of the church either, right? So my next point here is to invite Christ in. That's really what Paul is teaching us, to invite Christ into all these things, right? He starts out with the instruction to put on clothes of healthy relationships, after Tearing down sexual sin, anger, and lies, you know, in the, in the section prior to this, then he talks about building up your community with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, right? So after speaking really specific about how to treat each other, he once again brings things back to Jesus, first with an attitude and then with an activity. An attitude and an activity. Attitude is everything. If you want the activities to be good, look at verses 15 and 16, these are really important. Follow along with me. Let the peace of Christ be in control of your heart, for you are, in fact called as one body to this peace. And be thankful, by the way, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing hymns, our psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all with grace in your hearts to God. So there's two parallel instructions. There are two parallel instructions here that Paul gives to the church. They're meant to be understood together. Together, you can't separate them. The first is an attitude, I said this, and then an activity taken together. It's a picture of the household of faith inviting Jesus to be the center of their relationship. So think about it. The instruction is for us to invite Christ in. Number one, let the peace of Christ, underline peace of Christ, really important words, be in control in your hearts. It's a unique phrase. How unique? Really unique. Nowhere else in the New Testament do you find the phrase, peace of Christ. That makes me want to sit up and pay attention. Peace of Christ. There are places where you hear about the peace of God, the peace of the Lord, but this is the only reference to peace of Christ. What is this peace? Earlier in the letter, Paul describes how Christ himself made peace. Now think about it in Colossians 1.20 we go back to the very beginning of the letter it says and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross through him whether things on earth or things in heaven he says uh, to the church in ephesus in ephesians 2:14 for he is our peace the one who made both groups into one and who destroyed the middle wall of partition the hostility so the peace of Christ is not primarily an inner feeling. It's not about feeling good or calm or at rest. That's not what he's describing here. It's about two groups who used to be at war coming together as one. One. This is peace as compared to war. That's what he's talking about here. Not peace as compared to being stressed. That's different. This is The attitude that Paul wants the Colossians, right, to have for their instructions to be characterized by peace, or their interactions, excuse me, to be characterized by peace. This is what happens when you forgive each other in the same way Christ forgave you. Peace. Things are settled. You're not at war anymore. The peace of Christ rules your heart. I know what it's like when my attitude is wrong. There are times when I'm tired. There are times when I'm frustrated. You ever been like that? Upset. Upset with someone. And my heart's not right. It's not ruled by peace. It's exactly the opposite. I'm ready for a fight at any moment. My guard's up. I'm just waiting for somebody to say something. And then there are those button pushers. It's just like the Lord puts those people out there just for me. And my hand is hovering over my holster, just waiting for you to push my button. And then, right? Maybe that's why I like the cowboy movies. So much simpler back then. You could just kill people when they. When they drew on you, you just had to be faster. It sounds so awful, doesn't it? But see, let's be honest about how it really is, all right? Come on. Your hand ever hovering over your holster as soon as somebody just kind of just says the wrong thing and you're just ready to go, right? So Paul says not to have this kind of attitude, right? Don't walk with your hand over your holster, is pretty much what he's saying. Hover, it's just hovering right there. Walk peacefully. Put up the white flag a lot more. Look for reconciliation. This is the peace of Christ. In- invite Christ in by allowing his peace to define your relationships. So he begins by encouraging an attitude of peace. Then he moves on to the activity. That's the second phrase. Right? Look at verse 16 and underline. Uh, Word of Christ. So he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Word of Christ. Underline that phrase. Because once again, unique phrase. You don't see it anywhere else in the New Testament. You see the word of God, the word of the Lord, but this is the only place where we find word of Christ. Fortunately, Paul gives us more detail about what it means. It's basically... The two things that we've done this morning, we talk about Christ, we sing about Christ. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all the wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all with a grace, all with grace in your hearts to God. So this is what Paul said he did for the Colossians back in 128. This is why Paul says that the basic activities of the church is admonishing and teaching. It's to be the activity that people within the church do for each other, not just what pastors do. Actually, if you look through the Old Testament, my role as pastor is to equip and train people to do the work of the ministry. Everybody else is supposed to do the work. I'm supposed to equip and train. So we admonish each other when we're getting distracted. And we sing together, we encourage each other. The word of Christ is ever-present within us. We teach each other about Christ. We encourage each other towards Christ. We need each other. This is the way the church functions, right? So I want to move on to this next point, though. I just title it, Drink Your Coffee in the Name of Christ. What? Yeah. Yeah. All concludes with one final, all-encompassing instruction. Listen to how he sums up everything. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what more can be said? It's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. He explains exactly what this great mystery of Christ means. Everything that we do, whether it's something we say or do or think or believe, it's done in the name of Jesus as we thank God the Father. This is the life we want to live. This is what it means to walk in Christ. This is what it means. Well, what I love about this instruction, it's so completely comprehensive and simple. It's not not all packaged in fancy stuff. Pretty straight. He doesn't say come to church and pray and then go to your small group in the name of Jesus. He says that everything we do should be done in the name of Jesus. He says to take our daily activities, the things we already do and say and do them in the name of Jesus. For me, this made me think about drinking coffee. Why? It's something that I do pretty much every single day have a coffee routine in the morning, and my whole day pretty much hinges on it. Does it do that with you? Okay. That's fine. If it doesn't, but you have a routine, right? There's nothing particularly spiritual about drinking coffee, but Paul says that whatever I do, I should do in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are simply instructed to go about our normal routines, not to do them normally, but to do them in the name of Jesus. Drink your coffee in the name of Jesus. It means that when you leave here and you get in your car... You do it in the name of Jesus. It means when you have dinner tonight and then you go on to watch Netflix, do it in the name of Jesus. When you drive to work tomorrow and you put on this mask, do that in the name of Jesus. When you're sitting in a boring meeting, when you're dealing with a difficult coworker, when you're enduring another Zoom call, do all those things in the name of Jesus. There's no divide between your life in Christ and your regular life. It's all the same. Don't treat your relationship with Jesus like it's a vacuum cleaner attachment. In the 21st century, we got these great vacuums. They're so awesome. And they have all these magnificent attachments that we put on when we need it. And then we like stick them back, you know, and never use them again. And sometimes we just treat Jesus like that, like he's an attachment. We just use him when we need him. That's not the way it is. Everything, everything, right? Is to be done in the name of Jesus. It's all together. So invite we're to invite him into all of it. When we walk in the great mystery of Jesus that covers everything, our main responsibility, invite him into everything, absolutely everything, to see him transform our lives and to find him in all that we do. Now, what does this have to do with me? So here it comes. It gets gets real personal. I mean, why would you, like, beat around the bush now? He's shown us how to build up ourselves as a household of faith. He's shown us what the relational virtues are that we must value and practice if we're to build up into a healthy community of Jesus. We saw that those values are based on bearing with one another and forgiving one another. You have to do those things. We're not going to be a perfect community because we're going to hurt each other, but we can forgive because we know the forgiveness of Jesus. We can be a place where peace rules our hearts and the word of God lives vibrantly. When we do that, we become a household of faith where everything is centered around Jesus, and that's the goal. Everything is centered around Jesus all that we do we do in his name. So this is a picture of a really high functioning church, a healthy church. But it is not easy to pull that off, especially when you can just get aggravated really quick and go find another one. I I even think that there is there's this thing too where um you know, now we really got an excuse more than ever. I can just watch it on TV <laughs> or on my computer, you know, we can be detached really easy. I think that's the future difficulty kind of coming our way. We can pick and choose all kinds of things. But you see, I really value the relationship and the interaction. That's a big deal. And I think we got to continue to fight for this. It's really important, right? Where we forgive and are forgiven. That's this place where the peace of Christ guides our actions, where the word of Christ dominates our activities, where we learn to walk in Christ in everything, no matter what we're doing. This is God's vision for us as a church, for Vale Christian Church. This is what he's building into us. This is a big deal. This is his plan, strategy, and design so that one day when he returns, we will greet him and welcome him home to Veil Christian Church. So... Number one, what does this have to do with me? What are your relationships like within the church? What are they like? What are they like? Are people aggravated with you all the time? If Maybe you should ask people. Are people aggravated with you all the time? Because... You know, um, are you aggravated at people all the time? (laughs) What are your relationships like within the church? This is a really big deal. Number two, of the virtues listed in verse 12, which come more naturally to you? Which are harder for you to express? Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I have a check mark next to all of them. Maybe you're a little different. I don't know. I struggle with each and every one in a different way. And number three, uh, this gets personal, sometimes we find it difficult to forgive others, you know, other Christ followers, because we expect more of them. Is this this ever true of you? Hmm. Yeah, Christ followers are the hardest people sometimes. Man, if it wasn't for people, church would be so easy, be so good. Church is hard. Church is work. Community groups are work. Marriage is real work, right? Being others-minded does not come naturally. And how might the word of Christ dwell in you richly? What what could that look like in practical terms, right? Well, you got to use this. This has to be hidden in your heart. You can't avoid this. This should be a part of your life in such a way to where, you know, you're just wearing this out all the time because you're you're working through God's word in a way. You're hiding it in your heart to, to where it dwells right here. It lives right here in a rich manner that transforms you from the inside out. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this practical instruction about the household of faith, how important it is that we get this right and good and healthy so that then we can move on and work through then relationships in our family as well and get finally to this big picture of the community that we live in so we can live in a manner to, to where people want what we have. Such an important strategy. That's what we want to arrive, Lord. So, continue to teach us and cause us to grow in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vale Christian Church podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message please visit our website at www.balechristian.com.